In this episode of Emergence, we'll tell you about the EU FMD vaccine security meeting, the Ag Results FMD vaccine prize. You'll hear about a PhD occurring in Kenya and also the Rabies Hero Award winners. Welcome to Emergence with me, Alistair King, your host, brought to you by MSD Animal Health. It seems to have been a really busy month since I last spoke to you and talking about what we're expecting. Well, we've already fitted in quite a lot. I'm going to spend some time telling you about the EU FMD vaccine security meeting that John Atkinson and I attended. We'll mention the AgResults FMD vaccine challenge, which was launched at the same time as the EU FMD meeting. We'll talk a little bit to someone who's running a PhD in Kenya, looking at motivators and barriers that influence pharma decisions. And we'll also talk about the Rabies Hero Awards, which we've just launched. We'll start with John and myself talking about the EU FMD meeting and the Ag Results Vaccine Challenge. Hi John, good that you can join me again. When we were in Rome, we went to the EU FMD Vaccine Security Meeting. I think because of the title, people can be a bit confused about what that is. What, why were the EU FMD having a vaccine security meeting? And they did describe it as vaccine security as being about people having physical, social and economic access to sufficient, safe and effective vaccines. But I think what's important in that is why you're doing that. And it's actually leading to food security so that all people have access to safe, sufficient and nutritious food. It's a knock on effect. What did you think about it as a meeting from what you saw? Were we really tackling those kind of areas? Yeah, I think that uh, your sort of summary of what vaccine security is um, really covers those main points. I think the the meeting was really good, actually, to, to bring stakeholders uh, together, so people involved in uh, vaccine production, in uh, the laboratories, um, and in uh, disease control uh, together in general. It, that's really important to get people to discuss those main issues. And you're right, I mean, what, what does vaccine security really mean? And I think, you know, if we take a step back and, and think about what diseases are we talking about? Well, these are described as the fast diseases, aren't they? It's foot and mouth and, and similar diseases, these transboundary diseases, such as uh, foot and mouth disease um, that affect uh, livestock in areas around the world, including Africa. And these sorts of diseases are those that they not only affect the health and welfare of the animals, but, but they also therefore affect uh, the livelihoods of the people that depend on them. That in turn brings us around to vaccines because vaccines are one of the main tools that, that can really help control these diseases. So that's why I think, you know, if we can secure a, a supply and availability of of effective vaccines for these sorts of diseases, then vaccine security really is crucial. I, I think it's really interesting. EU FMD and that always has been in the past seemed to be their focus, but Keith Sumption is really bringing that on now and looking at FMD actually being a good way of seeing how we can deal with other diseases, which is why he's coined this phrase fast foot and mouth and similar transboundary diseases. And there's a lot of things we can learn about. So during this meeting, 
we were talking about pre-qualification, which would be a really novel approach in veterinary medicine. I've been wanting it for rabies vaccines for ages. WHO do it for human medicine, but we, we haven't got that. So he's looking at that. That's a really exciting development. We were talking about regulatory aspects and should the regulatory aspects for emerging diseases these kind of things be the same as they are for diseases that are much, much larger, much broader and not going to cause as much trade threat. All of these areas were looked at over the two days and that was a really important kind of area, I think. I think you're totally right. It is, isn't it? I mean, in no way do, do any of us want to risk any kind of quality standards to be uh, reduced for vaccines by way of um, of having you know some kind of criteria to to make registration perhaps uh, more straightforward, but I think it is it's about actually it's about making sure that we we can really increase the availability of high quality uh, vaccines, which are going to be effective, and making sure that the the registration the regulatory requirements aren't aren't too onerous to actually prevent or slow down the the registration and then availability of of high quality vaccines um, obviously you know from from a manufacturer's perspective you know we've got to be thinking about uh, often about many different diseases uh, many different countries many different regions and if it's possible to to have a system whereby you can have um, even more efficient approaches to uh, registration that can uh, increase the chances of effective products being uh, registered then then that's got to be a good thing so you know just there's this this willingness to to have a look at you know how can things be done differently you know how can we look at a problem such as foot and mouth disease um, as one example um, almost like a pilot if you like that can then lead to to approaches that then if they're proven to be effective then you know they can then be taken across other diseases for example uh, ppr lumpy skin disease uh, these these other diseases that that have a direct impact on such live livestock so i agree with you that you know these pre-qualification novel approaches of uh, are a really interesting idea that have got great merit and and it's great that you know an organization like eu fmd is really leading in this area pre-qualification yeah is about i think there's two key things there that make it to me such an exciting thing we know that the difficulties are governments don't know how to look at for quality in vaccines they don't know what they're trying to look at they don't easily see what is a good quality vaccine and what isn't and then the other thing is when they do put out a tender they have so many documents to go through and wade through and so much to read it takes a long time so pre-qualification gives people a reassurance of what can be seen as good vaccines to use that are proven in the field and they're going to do something so that that's a first step but it also means if you've got a pre-qualified vaccine submitting for a tender then you don't need to go through all of the documents that you would normally need to do so it speeds up the whole tender process as well so both of those have a really big impact 
And I think that also came out with the other part of this meeting, which was the AgResults launch of their FMD vaccine challenge. And that was really about how does Africa get good quality vaccine as well, recognizing they haven't had the right vaccines. I, I don't know if listeners know much about AgResults. AgResults is a donor initiative and it works on a pay for results kind of approach. It's very different to most other awards and things. So it's looking for something really happening in the field to create a sustainable agricultural market. And they've done uh, they're currently doing the brucellosis vaccine challenge. They've also done Tanzania. They've done a dairy productivity challenge. In Kenya, they've done an on-farm storage challenge. So they're looking at real life in Africa and what can be done. And they've seen that there isn't good access to FMD vaccines that are aimed at the African market. So they're trying to stimulate that. So that was really quite an interesting thing to listen to as well i think yeah yeah it was i've i've never um been directly involved in um an agriculture uh, ag results uh launch uh process before so that was a new experience for me um uh, and i don't know about you but I, you know for me i, I find it really exciting uh, that, that there is this initiative because you know this is this is a, a region a part of the world where Obviously, there's a group of countries that share a common problem in foot and mouth disease and, and share common challenges with foot and mouth disease. So firstly, it's great that a spotlight is being focused on this region, on the animals and, and the people there, because FMD is, is such a problem. I mean, certainly, um, you know, having been fortunate enough to go on uh, one of the EU FMD's real-time training uh, programs in East Africa last year, you know, that really gave me a new appreciation for the problem that foot and mouth disease causes these people, how difficult it is to live with this disease, um, and and it gave me a newfound respect for the disease as well, seeing it, seeing outbreaks in real time. So for me personally as well, it, it was a privilege to be at that meeting with colleagues from across industry, from um, from laboratories and so on, uh, to to see this launch, to be part of the launch of this this uh, project um, and this challenge, and I think that you know they they've come up with with an approach that is really interesting, and and I hope that it really can achieve those aims of of getting a suitable vaccine for the region, um, and also making it available as well. Yeah, it's worth saying when you say that was is an interesting approach it's worth pointing out what they're doing the brucellosis vaccine challenge directly is trying to put money into research and people who come up with a new brucellosis vaccine they're going to be getting funding to support developing that the fmd one really isn't like that it's almost an fmd challenge not an fmd vaccine challenge there's no money going to be coming to manufacturers and researchers or anything like that but the money is going into the distribution network to try and drive that in uh, Eastern Africa. So you're going to get support to improve that commercial access to vaccines. Where it's good for the vaccine manufacturers is the one the vaccines that are designed for Africa will get the support in the network. So it's a kind of knock-on effect, but we're not directly getting anything. So it's going to build 
a sustainable business in Africa to actually get vaccines out. And I think overall that's going to help improve health of animals, not just for FMD. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's probably worth pointing out as well, you know, people might say, well, why East Africa? Why not pick another part of the world? And and here it's because in that region, in these countries, this is where there are numerous strains of, of FMD uh, belonging to different serotypes. So you've got lots of, of different versions of the virus um, in these countries. And also they spread really easily because of the way that the the animals are managed, they have shared grazing, shared water supplies, so they're brought together, which provides a fantastic opportunity for the virus to to be spread from animal to animal. But also, you have um, in these areas where animals are grazing, you've also got frequent movements of people. So again, this provides an opportunity for uh, the virus to to spread around. So. East Africa has a particular problem with with this virus um, that really does need tackling. And because of the nature of the requirements for a vaccine, the foot and mouth disease vaccine needs to contain the right vaccine strains to be able to give protection against those strains that are causing the problem in the field. Because unfortunately, you can't just have one vaccine strain that gives cross protection to all those viruses so you need to really make sure that um, you get the right strains in the vaccine for that particular area so i think i think it's just worth pointing out why this challenge is focusing on this particular region yeah and you've just pointed out why really the word challenge i think is a good one yeah Uh, we've got three years they want to have something registered on the market within three years. So for a manufacturer to come up with the new strains that are right for that area, yeah, there's definitely a challenge there for us to come up to (laughs) and to stand up to. Hopefully a few of us will will take that challenge on. Yeah, it is that, isn't it? But, you know, it's a challenge that it's a really worthy challenge. It's one that, you know, we this region has been facing the challenge of these viruses for a very long time so let's really hope that that this opportunity is the catalyst needed uh, to to bring together the the right minds uh, the right knowledge and skills to create the right vaccine uh, for this particular region that does cover those strains and as you say um, also to make the right distribution network so that people can actually access this right vaccine whatever it ends up being and i'll get nina henning who is the project manager i'll get her on an on a subsequent podcast so she can really explain a lot more about it but this first launch of it very interesting to see the 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 overall two-day meeting for the eu fmd so we talked about a lot of the pre-qualification regulatory and all of this area i think that's a really big step forward and it was this great mix of different people it was manufacturers it was regulatory it was research it was laboratory and it was government and intergovernmental organizations as well bringing together a really key group of people i think to to shift things and make things move forward yeah and and i think i think it's that isn't it it's about this 
it's having the conversations and I think there's this need to keep talking as well and keep talking about foot and mouth disease, what's needed to to bring together the vaccine. But also, you know, that leads on to the vaccine being just one part of, of FMD control. You know, you've got the need for awareness and education at, at all levels. Uh, and I think the, the more that we can have, you know, these sort of meetings that can then lead to other conversations just like we're having now to to try and raise that awareness of just um, how big a problem foot and mouth disease is because you know there are people in many different countries across the world who are living with it day in day out you know this the conversations the awareness and education uh, play a, a real critical part yes we need the vaccine but these sorts of conversations play a really critical part in in our chances of effectively controlling the disease in those parts of the world where it's still a real daily problem. And I think this year, FMD, also rabies, we, we know there's quite a lot of these conversations going to be going on. It's really changing. Uh, so this is going to be some stuff that we can bring, some information that we can bring to people and help people understand what's going on around as well. Thank you very much, John. Good chatting to you as ever. Thanks very much. While we're at the EU FMD vaccine security meeting, I met up with Polly Compton, who was giving a presentation. and She was talking about her PhD in Kenya. During the conference, I was fascinated hearing from her. I thought you would find this information interesting as well. So I managed to catch up with her. It's not the best connection. There's some building work going on in the background, but I hope you'll be able to follow it. And then when she gets back from Kenya in the future, we'll have her on again. Hi, Polly. Thanks for joining me. We met at the EU FMD vaccine security meeting last week. You were talking about your PhD that you're doing in combination with the RVC and Perbright. Can you just tell our listeners what that PhD is so people understand it a bit more? Absolutely. So the title is Understanding Drivers, Incentives and Economic Impact of Foot and Mouth Disease Control in Kenya. And really, this is looking at the infrastructure around vaccine delivery on the ground in one part of Kenya, which is Nakuru County. So we're going to be looking at why people make the decisions they do around vaccination and control of foot and mouth disease, both at a farmer level and farmers in different sorts of systems, so smallholder farmers, commercial farmers, pastoralists, talking to the people delivering healthcare as well as policymakers, and also doing some economic analysis to understand the monetary impact of both disease and its control in those different systems. I think this is really important. Uh, clearly, the EU FMD meeting was vaccine security and this great focus on getting the, the vaccine that suits Africa. There is a need to do that. But we have to be broader thinking than that. And you said something that really struck a chord with me. You talked about using the right vaccine used in the right animal in the right way by the right person. What did you mean by that? 
Well, I think it's exactly what you just said. Of course, we need effective medicines that work, effective vaccines that are going to prevent the disease that we want to prevent. But that's really only half the battle. If those medicines aren't used or they're not used correctly, then they won't be effective. Um, And so the right vaccine, that's sort of up to the pharmaceutical companies, that's up to the laboratory research. But in order, you know, these ideas around the right animal, the right way, at the right time, by the right person, people need to know when to vaccinate their animals, which animals to vaccinate. And they will know that by trusting the animal healthcare infrastructure that's available to them. I mean, sort of obvious examples are the cold chain, if that's something that's needed for a vaccine. And everybody along that route needs to understand why the vaccine needs to be cold. Um, we know that, in especially in sub-Saharan Africa, most of these animals are being treated by paraprofessionals rather than veterinary surgeons. And those people's lives are... It's really important to understand the motivations for those people's lives as well, because they need to have a professional understanding of the practice that they're carrying out and a professional relationship with the farmers whose animals are vaccinating. And it's also really important that those farmers, that we understand why different groups of farmers, well, first of all, that we understand who different groups of farmers are and we're not making assumptions from the outside. And also that we understand what influences their decision. Is it that it may not be that they they won't know if it's a fantastic new technology vaccine. I've no idea what the new technology in, you know, cat vaccines are, for example. It's a long time since that's been my world. But I still vaccinate my cat, but I do that for different reasons. Um, Because I trust my vet. I do that because of a habit. I do that because I trust that I want her to be protected. And all of those things come into play as well. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's human factors, isn't it? That it's very easy, especially as pharmaceutical companies, we get into the science behind making vaccines. And there's some really good science behind making vaccines. And definitely we need high quality vaccines. That has been a problem for Africa that that they've not been getting the quality that they require. But human factors drive decisions because the majority of people using the vaccine won't understand everything that's behind it and driving it. What kind of human factors do you see in that make these changes of changing behaviour? I think a big one is prior history with vaccination and healthcare outcomes. So if people have vaccinated for any disease before, and probably in any animal, the results of that, if they feel protected by that, is going to influence whether they do it again. And that, you know, that, that may be based simply on their experience. They might have vaccinated for a disease that they had very little risk of, but they still didn't get the disease, so the vaccine still was effective. I do think that relationship between whoever delivers your health animal health care, because you're going to trust somebody who you know makes your animal's health better. And I also think that there's definitely political sort of powers at play as well within the different systems. And I think that's something that I'm definitely going to be able to get a better understanding of when I'm in Kenya. That's interesting. You talk about use of vaccines. One of the things we know 
in Africa has been this use of poor quality vaccines that don't do the job. But also we know that disease isn't always diagnosed correctly and a lot of diseases are put down as being foot and mouth even when they're not. So you could have vaccinated, but actually you still think the animal goes down with FMD. So there's a lot of education that's going to be needed to change, partly change some of those behaviors and make people change what they do. You're just about to go out to Kenya on Wednesday, I think you said? Yes, that's right. So you're going to get a really good chance to see all of this firsthand. This isn't like from from London remote stuff. You're really getting down there and really going to talk to the right people, aren't you? Yes, and that's something that's a, going to be a big and important part of this project. relates to what you just said. So the that sort of idea of vaccines, you know, is it a poor quality vaccine or is it just that it hasn't been delivered in the right way? For me, a really important thing is to open up the transparency around that because you can easily get into a situation where a vaccine manufacturer is saying, well, it just wasn't done right. And everyone else is saying, well, your vaccine isn't good enough. Um, And I really want to be able to create some dialogues that maybe there's more than one truth in that. Maybe it's a little bit of both. understanding within that vaccine value chain so from production to inoculation where is the governance where are the decisions made and where are potential weaknesses that can be mitigated but a big part of what I want to do is to talk to all the different people involved and just be very open about what what is happening I think that's that's the key. I'm not going with any preconceptions. This is quite a new area of work for me, and I think that's important. I don't know the answer. I don't. I don't. I, I, yeah, I don't have a clear. I, I know that these factors are important, but I don't have a clear hypothesis of exactly why the control isn't always as effective as we might or Kenyan farmers might hope it would be. That's actually in itself really good, not going with a preconceived idea, but going with that open mind will help us do things. I think this focus with the AgResults FMD challenge, getting the right vaccine is important. Getting the vaccine security the EU FMD are aiming for also really important. But without the stuff you're doing, we won't get there. I'm finding it really exciting listening to you and understanding more about what you're doing. I hope that when you come back, we can hopefully get you on again and you can explain a bit more about what you've actually found. Yeah, no, I'd love that. I mean, it's I'm a vet by training and I think that animal-human-vet interaction has always been at the heart of what I do, even though now it seems that uh, I'm in academia and not practising on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I am still, you know, I still really think that making that veterinary treatment effective and positive for people, for the owner and for the vet is the way forward. Thank you very much for your time, Polly. I hope you have a good trip to Kenya. I'm sure you will have a good trip to Kenya. Really enjoy it and we'll be in touch again soon. If you follow us on Twitter or LinkedIn, you'll already have seen that in January this year, we launched the Rabies Hero Awards. If you've been listening, you you know already, I find in 2020, it's almost unbelievable that we still have rabies as a problem 
causing deaths of 60, 70,000 people a year. We know that vaccination of dogs, access to post-bite treatment will save almost all these lives. It's such a big thing that we can do something about. And the tripartite of the WHO, the FAO and the OIE committed to the elimination of dog-mediated rabies by 2030. It's 2020. We have 10 years to reach that goal. There's still such a lot to do, but I really do believe we can do it. And we think that awareness and education is a key part to to reaching that target. That's why we've announced the Rabies Hero Awards. It's basically in recognition of the work anyone is doing against rabies who is a hero whatever size. They may be leading research into the understanding of disease. They may be working to introduce new policies at government level. They may be teaching children about living with dogs. They may be working with minimum resources to ensure dogs are vaccinated. There are so many different ways that these heroes are out there doing things. But I do know, without them, we don't have a chance of winning the battle. So for the first awards, we've recognised two legends and three people who are working hard in the ground. The legends, Sarah Cleveland from the UK, she's well known to anyone. Since the beginning of her career, she's done a PhD, she's been in postdoctoral research, and she's been looking into reservoir dynamics and the design of control measures. She's driven so much in Africa and helped develop strategies for canine rabies elimination. And the other legend, Sergio Rekurenko, advocating for better control in the Amazon for more than 12 years, really campaigning hard for the indigenous people of Peruvian Amazon and often outside his official roles, he puts in so much. The legends everyone knows about, we really want to make sure they get recognised because that brings the awareness and helps make everyone see about rabies. But there are other people who are doing so much that don't get known nearly as much. So we also have Dr. Rene van Reed van Oosthoorn from South Africa. She's working in the villages, towns and townships in South Africa, Zimbabwe and Botswana as part of the community veterinary services. She's using every chance she can to educate on rabies. She's running mass sterilization and rabies campaigns. And this free sterilization and vaccination to animals in poor rural areas really makes a difference. Then there's Rachel Wright. She founded the Tree of Life for Animals based in India in 2005. Again, she, she focuses on educating local children and the rural communities about the benefits of rabies vaccination for animals and people and also teaches about dog bite prevention and first aid. She liaises with local humanitarian NGOs, makes sure that whenever the rabies dog bites are reported, there's a smooth rescue operation. Finally, Didan Nagatia, he's been a key leader in the main programme of the Lakapia rabies vaccination campaign and its annual mobile free rabies vaccination clinic. During that campaign, he facilitates partnerships with local communities, businesses, researchers, county, national governments, local and international NGOs. He's reaching more than 200 communities over the course of two months. And he's developing education programmes. Again, that's so important for what we see being done, getting this rabies awareness being done. These are great people. You can read more about them on Twitter, on LinkedIn, look into what they're doing and help support them. Listen out as we're going to announce more Rabies Hero Awards as we go along. And that's it for another edition of Emergence. I'm afraid these seem to be getting longer each time. There's so much that I want to tell you and share with you. We'll try and keep this time down. Don't forget that you can contact us using our email address, ivh at merck.com. We'd love to hear from you, hear the feedback of what you've heard so far, suggestions for what you might want to hear about in the future. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.